Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, y'all. This is the Pugilistic Linguistics Podcast. I am your host, Michael Foster, the voice of reason in unreasonable world. I am on a little earlier today just because 7 o'clock is not going to work for me. Uh, the Cubs game is on. And if you know me, you know about me and my Cubs, and this is the championship series, so I had to shift it back a half hour. Um, today is going to be the goal part two. Uh, if you remember on last Sunday, I started a countdown of the 25 greatest hip-hop artists of all time. Uh, got through the first 13. I'm going to finish with the top 12 here. Uh, but just to recap, from last week, we have number 25, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Doggy Dogg, the dog father, whatever y'all want to call him. Four run DMC, the King Rock, number 23, Queen Latifah, Dana Owens, the first lady of hip hop. Number 22, The Far Side, the alternative answer to gangster rap in the early 90s from L.A., Number 21, Kanye West, who admittedly could have been a whole lot higher than this, but uh, his few, his last albums kind of uh, don't live up to the previous ones. So number 21, La Soul, uh, the Daisy Age, they're actually the um, hip-hop godfathers. They've been, in the, excuse me, they've been in the game for a long time, and they are still consistent. Again, the... Uh, and the anonymous nobody, their no, their newest album, you need to go cop that. It's really, really tight. Number nineteen, the Beastie Boys. Uh the Beastie Boys who started out on Def Jam, licensed to ill, and became MTV darlings on their subsequent releases, uh but still hip hop to their core. Number eighteen, the Roots. Uh the first hip hop band, actual band. Uh, in hip hop history, uh, has some really, really quality albums. Uh, check out uh, "Do You Want More," "Organics," uh, "Elf Half Life." That's some of the earlier stuff. Go check it out. Number seventeen, N.W.A. Uh, Negroes with Attitude. Uh, they were the beginners of that gangster rap thing. I remember being 14 years old and having it in my hand and feeling like I had like the rawest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Uh, NWA, they kind of went off the deep end after Ice Cube left, but number 16, Public Enemy. Uh, basically, the East Coast version of NWA, not quite as graphic, not quite as gangster, but 100% black. Uh, Chuck D, Flavor Flav, Terminator X, Professor Griff, Sister Soldier, uh, if for no other reason they make this top 25 for Fight to Power in 1989. So 16, Public Enemy. Number 15, T.I., uh, one of the newer cats on this list. Uh, I can't, I simply just can't keep him off the list. I don't get down with a lot of the drug and the trap music and all that stuff, but this guy just flat out has talent. So there's no way possible I could have kept him off the list. Uh, T.I., number 15. Number 14, AZ, somebody kind of off the beaten path, uh, down with Nas and uh, Dr. Dre in the early to mid-90s. He crafts his lines creatively and crazy. Uh, If you want to hear somebody has a lot to say and squeeze it into a little bit of time, 
Check out AZ's Do or Die, uh, the Nine Lives, I'm Bat, real tight stuff. And number 13, A Tribe Called Quest, uh, the only group to date where I actually bought all of their albums. Like went to the store, camped out at Rose Records and bought every single album. Now give me a dub. Now let me hold it for a while. It was Tribe Called Quest is coming out. Got to get it. Try 13. Number 12. Number 12, Ice Cube. O'Shea Jackson. Frankly, Ice Cube is really slept on. As good as he is, still not recognized as one of the greatest. If for no other reason, because his career has changed over the past 10, 15 years. But Ice Cube, in his prior was one of the rawest individuals to pick up a microphone. Started out at NWA, uh, decided to go solo when he realized that uh, NWA's manager, Jerry Heller, was stealing the money. So as the story goes, as he tells the story, uh, when he decided to go, no, when he decided to confront about a lack of money or missing monies, they, NWA collectively said to him, well, what are you going to do, go solo? And sure enough, he left the group and went solo and released America's Most Wanted. Great album. Produced by the Bomb Squad, Public Enemies producers, America's Most Wanted announced he was on the scene. And at that moment, we realized that Ice Cube was the heart and soul of NWA because when he left, the quality of their music changed. And they became caricatures of themselves. So Ice Cube was the heart and soul of NWA. And when Solo released three seminal albums, America's Most Wanted, The Predator, and Death Certificate. Awesome albums. Number 12, Ice Cube. Number 11, Outkast. One of the first of the Dirty South rappers from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, founding members of the Dungeon Family, uh, a collective of Atlanta rappers uh, who kind of shaped the Southern rap scene on a mainstream level in the mid-90s. Uh, Outkast released five quality albums uh, from Southern Playalistic, Cadillac Music, to AT Aliens, to Stankonia, uh they were different. I think uh, one. Uh, I think on Equimini, actually, they call themselves the player and the poet. Uh, Big Boy being the player and Andre 3000 being the poet made awesome, awesome music. Outcast number eleven, number ten, KRS One, KRS One of Boogie Down Productions. KRS-One, Knowledge reigns Supreme over nearly everyone. Boogie Down Productions, shortened to BDP. Uh, East Coast rappers, extraordinaire. Uh, BDP was a gangster rap group from the East Coast initially. Uh, Criminal Minded was a great, great song. Um, this is what New York was about in the late 80s. Uh, it was the, the land of crack, the land of uh, tenements and slums, criminal-minded, BDP. Uh, 
KRS went solo after their Sex and Violence album in 92. And he kind of started, kind of right before he went solo, but he kind of started to re-emerge as the teacher, uh, the educator of hip-hop. You Must Learn is one of his great solo joints. You know, he, 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 he sought to teach. He didn't just rap. He became the teacher. Uh, so KRS One, Boogie Down Productions, a seminal rap group, late eighties, early nineties from the East Coast. Pick up some of this stuff. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Number nine, Jay Z. Now let me first say, I'm really not a Jay Z fan. Really not. Um, but you can't deny greatness. Jay-Z is great as a rapper, uh, as an entrepreneur. He is great. Uh, Rockefeller Records, one of the, the uh, most successful semi-independent albums of record labels out there, um, created by him, Dame Dash, Kareem Biggs, uh, and released uh, seven or eight albums on that label before they split up. And all of them went platinum and reached the top five of the charts. Uh, but again, I'm not a big fan of Jay-Z. Uh, I think he overly simplified his ability for the sake of record sales. On a song called Ignorant Stuff, Shite-ish, whatever you want to call it, off of the American Gangsta album, he pretty much said as much. You know, I make some, give it to me. Y'all think I'm the greatest rapper ever, but I put out some thought-provoking stuff and you think I fell off. He can make some thought-provoking things, but, and I guess I can't be mad at him for it. I mean, you want to sell records, you got to sell what sells. You got to make what sells. And unfortunately, in the hip-hop audience today and in the 90s, ignorance kind of sold and he did what he had to do to sell records amen for it but i've heard some of his deep stuff terrific i just wish he had more of it jay-z number nine number eight common the opposite end of the spectrum to jay-z common has been that conscious rapper from day one from my side of town shy town uh, 87th overall Stony Escanaba in that east side area. Uh, Common broke on the scene as Common Sense in 92 with Can I Borrow a Dollar? Now, as a city kid or as a Chicago kid growing up in the city, Can I Borrow a Dollar was amazing to me because that represented the stuff I would hear in ciphers and neighborhood uh, parties and uh, stuff I would hear in the hallways at school and that is the label or the record equivalent of that because that was a sensibility in Chicago rap at the time. So Can I Borrow a Dollar 92 was amazing to us because it was stuff we would hear every day. Resurrection, I Used to Love Her, which was one of the, the most um, clever hip-hop songs ever created. As a matter of fact, I Used to Love Her by Common Sense got him into a beef with Ice Cube. Uh, which they settled later on in life. 
But I used to love it was amazing. I mean, listen to the song and you you need to follow the metaphors in that song. It's it's mind blowing. Uh kind of fell off with Electric Circus, my man Cam. I still like Electric Circus though. Anyway, he he went so so query and Jimi Hendrix. He went he went different. Don't lie. I like the album. It was out there. He got back with he got with Kanye West with B, which I think brought him back to his roots. B was an amazing album. You need to pick it up if you don't have it. Uh, that cemented him in in my top ten. Number eight, Common. Now this next one is going to be a little unorthodox. Number seven, Andre Three Thousand. Now, I fully understand that Outkast made number 11 on my list. Andre 3000 has not made anything truly solo. But to be number seven on this list is quite simply bananas on the microphone. This, again, is not about record sales. It's not about, uh, you know, radio spins about talent. Andre 3000 is one of those super rappers. And everybody here on out is going to be that super rapper, that one where he can just get on the cut and just take it over. He was going to throw some D's remix. Uh, it was him, Rich Boy, uh, um, Lee, I think, a couple of other cats. The reason why I don't know is because Andre 3000 had the first verse of D's remix. After he was done, they should have ended the song. That's how this that's how much he destroyed the track. Um I choose you. Uh players anthem, international players anthem, UGK. Same thing. First verse, it should have ended the song after he was done. This guy has straight flow. So that made me go back and listen to some of that old outcast stuff. And I realized that I was sleeping on him all this time. I knew he was good. But some of the things that he says and how he crafts the things that he says is just crazy. So Andre Andre 3000 makes my list at number seven. Number six, Big Daddy Kane. Anybody that's known me from way, way back knows I am a gigantic Big Daddy Kane fan. Huge, as Donald Trump would say, huge Big Daddy Kane fan. Something about that dude, when I first heard Ain't No Half Stepping, that did it. I was hooked on rap. Uh, I had heard a couple of rap songs previously, and you know, it was all right, you know, it was cool. But when I heard Ain't No Half Stepping, that was it. That That was it for me. I was hooked. That's it. That's my man. And I rocked with Big Daddy Kane. From that day forward, long live the cane, uh, smooth operator. Uh, that that was that was. I think that song is what introduced him to the true masses. Ain't no half stepping. Got him, got him with the hip hop heads, but smooth operator. It kind of drew everybody in. Okay, so Big Daddy Kane, like I say, to this day, I, I rock with that dude. I follow that dude on Facebook. Uh, I'm I I get down with Big Daddy, Big Daddy King number six, number five Eminem. 
Eminem is bananas. I am big on lyrics, uh, crafting your lines. I am big on uh, how you say your thing. Um, Eminem, quite frankly, is just, you just shake your head and listen to some of the things that he says. Now, back when he started, I think a lot of his subject matter was just getting old. You know, there's only so many times you can rap about how bad your mom is before we get tired of hearing it. There's only so, so many times you can rap about, you know, somebody pissing you off and you exacting revenge on record. You know, that's fine. But I think the cut that woke me up to him as just a bananas artist was actually on somebody else's album. He was on Jay-Z. He was with Jay-Z on the song called Renegade. And in that song, he laid it out to a point where, you know, you sit back and you cover your mouth and be like, ooh, yeah, that was like that. He, he, he did it for me. Since I'm in a position to talk to these kids and then listen, I ain't no politician, but I kick it with them a minute. You see, they call me a menace, and if it's true, I wear it, but if it does, y'all will swallow the truth, grin and bear it. That's just, it was hard for me to say, and I slowed it down. But Eminem, now, I want you all to go and YouTube, Facebook. He has a uh, freestyle session. I don't even know what you, it's not a cipher because it's just him. But it's in this abandoned warehouse somewhere, I'm guessing in Detroit. And for six minutes straight, he proceeded to destroy the English language. And I say that in a good way. Six minutes of just bananas. Okay. And to think. Drake so-and-so or so-called wanted to battle that dude. Dude, you do not want to end your career. Simple. Number five, Eminem. Number four, Tupac. Now, let me also say about Tupac, like I did about Jay-Z. At the end, I was not a Tupac fan. I was not a fan of the Thug Life rapper. He had some cuts that I liked. Don't get me wrong. Um... But I was not a fan of the Thug Life rapper. I was a fan of the revolutionary Tupac that was on Strictly for My Niggas and Me Against the World. Those were his revolutionary, insightful, in-depth albums. Uh, you know, when he hooked up with Suge and went California Love and, you know, All Eyes on Me. Don't get me wrong, some of that stuff was great. Okay, and that's why he makes this list at number five, number four. I'm sorry, that's why he makes his list at number four because the material is still great, but he wasn't the guy that hooked me in strictly for my niggas and me against the world. Uh, Tupacalypse Now, uh, those albums were revolutionary. Brenda's got a baby. But Brenda's barely got a brain. Uh, you know, me, uh, so many tears. That's the Tupac that I liked. People fail to realize Tupac didn't have a criminal record until he was thug. 
see, he didn't have a criminal. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a a a a violent type dude until he bought into that persona. Until Suge bailed him out of jail and put him on death row, or whatever, and that's when he became became the criminal. Before then, he was the son of a Black Panther, but he still made good material. It was written. Nostradamus. I like those three albums. Illmatic was was one of the most was one of the seminal albums to come out of New York City in the first half of the nineties. He's a poet. He crafts his lines and paints pictures. He draws mental pictures for you. But Nas was still from the streets. Ask Jay-Z what happens when you step to Nas. You get an ether. The one of the most, the most vicious, well, second most vicious diss track behind No Vaseline. The second most vicious diss track ever. Ether was so bad that ether has now become a verb. You mess around with me, you're going to get ethered. Nas, number three. Number two, the notorious B.I.G., Biggie. Frank White, whatever you want to call him, he changed the game. Now, look, I know he only released two albums when he was alive. But those two albums, Ready to Die, Life After Death, brought the East Coast back into prominence. Around those times, 94 for Ready to Die, the West Coast was dominating hip-hop music. Uh, started with NWA in the late 80s. Uh, Pac was big around that time. Dress was big around that time. The West Coast was dominating. Ready to Die, along with Wu-Tang Clan, Nas, a couple of other albums around that time. But Ready to Die shift, or at least uh, notified everybody the East Coast was still a force to be reckoned with. It brought the focus back to what had been lost and what actually would be lost after that when Puffy gets hold to it. But it brought back that grimy, um, that that dark storytelling that uh, the message, let's say, was telling back in the early '80s, mid '80s. Uh, that 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 wordplay, that uh, that visual picture painting Biggie was the king of that pretty much every song on Ready to Die was a story of some kind he even expounded upon that in Life After Death Uh, Life After Death had a double album had many 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 cuts but the one my favorite well actually I had two Um, I got a story to tell and niggas bleed Great stories. You need to listen to them. As a matter of fact, I got a story to tell. Is from what I gather, what's being said is an actual true story. Uh, he did sleep with somebody who uh, sleep with the wife of a guy who played for the Knicks. He walked in on him, 
and there's been big debate as to who this cat was. I think they said before he passed, I think they said it was Anthony Mason. I'm not mistaken. I'm not really sure. I think they said it was Anthony Mason. I also heard Hubert Davis. But I got a story to tell was actually a story that actually happened to him. Okay. Great story. Listen to Biggie and you'll you'll be taken somewhere. Now these are not all uh bubblegum fairy tale stories now. These are these are murder stories. These are drug laced or whatever. And they kinda go against my sensibilities. But when a man has talent, I gotta give him his props. I love the way Biggie told a story. His murder in ninety seven uh ninety yeah, ninety seven and Pox in ninety six. Uh, basically made the industry step back and take a look and say, wait a minute, this crap we're talking about ain't really worth people's lives. The, the midst of that East Coast, West Coast media creation that everybody bought into. If he was still around, I just wonder how different would the game be today? Would any of these guys nowadays have a chance if a Biggie or a Pac was still alive? I doubt it. Number two, Notorious B.I.G. And now we get to the greatest rapper of all time. Rakim Allah. Number one, Rakim. What can you say about a dude that gets on the microphone, spits at 16, Leaves the microphone, and people don't know what hit him. He drops the mic when he finishes and watches smoke. That's what he does. Rakim always struck me as someone like an uncle who will sit in the living room and tell you and talk to you, tell you a story. Uh, he puts words together in ways I've never heard before or since. Uh, I'll take seven MCs, put them in a line. Then add seven more brothers who think they can ride. Then I will take seven more before I go for mine. Now there's 21 MCs ate up at the same time. It's not overly complex. It's not overly, you know, difficult. It's insane, though. My unusual style would confuse you a while. If I was water, I'd flow in the Nile. Not overly complicated. But you nod your head and like, did you hear what he just said? And you'll find yourself saying, did you hear what he just said? Over and over again. We're listening to Rakim with Eric B and Solo because he released three solo albums to date. Um, but that guy is just bananas. Don't sweat the technique. They want to know how many rhymes have I ripped and wrecked, but researchers haven't found all the pieces yet. Scientists are trying to solve a context. Philosophers are wondering what's next. Come on, man. That's just ridiculous. Rock him took this game and elevated it. 
to a level that everybody else is trying to get to. Rockin' My Law is my number one greatest rapper of all time. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I've got a comment section out here. Go ahead and meet you on my Facebook page. I will be creating a Facebook page specifically for this podcast. I'll get that up and running within the next week or so. But if you agree, disagree, you've got a list, go ahead and post it. I'm open to all things. Come out there and tell me I'm crazy if you want. That's fine, too, because I've heard worse recently. But anyway, that's my top 25, of which Rakim is number one. And now the Cubs game is on. So I'm going to go and have to check out and, and check my, my Cubs out. But before I go, as I say every day in, in passing, in parting, take care of yourself because you all you got. Peace.